Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diodora, brand made legendary by your boy. Currently worn by world number 26, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, world number 27, Jan Leonard Stroop, world number 44, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diodora.com. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at HollibreSports.com for 15% off of all performance Diodora tennis shoes. He was born and raised in the suburbs of Paris, and after an elite junior career, turned pro at 18 years old. Southpaw, one of the most carbonated players on tour, got to a career high of 51 in the world this time last year. and went into the 2023 season ready to play all of the big tournaments and climb the rankings. But during his first round win at the Australian Open, he severely injured his right wrist and then continued playing with a one-handed backhand, a trend he has continued this entire year, and we talked about it all. Corentin Moutet is today's guest. Hang on a second. You lost a challenger. You lost to Benoit, and now you're back on property in Boulogne-Billancourt. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Back at home yesterday. Are you finished for the year? No, 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 no. I'm going to play uh, four more challengers. So two on hard courts, two on clay. And then I'm going to finish the year on the last week, actually. Man, what a year it's been for you. I was courtside for your match against Sarundalo in Australia when it all kind of began, this journey. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long, uh, long, long year, difficult uh, year. I was hoping for a different year, but, you know, it is how it is. And uh... For our listeners, gentlemen, you hear coming to us live in full effect from Paris, from, from Boulogne-Billancourt, the neighborhood of Roland Garros, neighborhood of the French Federation. Former world number 51, he spits rhymes, he broke his wrist, his first match of the year, he broke his off wrist, he's one of the flashiest cats on tour, he has had a odd year to say the least, and we're going to talk all about it, that is Corentin Moutet, did I get that all right my man? Yeah, perfect, thank you. <laughs> C'est parfait. Nice to meet you. I, we've never really talked. We said hello in Newport, Rhode Island quickly. It's great to see you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to be, to be here today, to be honest. As you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. So you finished the U.S. tournaments. I've just kind of looked at your results. You've been losing match after match. What has the thought been here uh, this back end of the year? I knew it would be harder, you know, to go indoor because the courts are faster. People are getting used to my, let's say, my 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 problem, you know, to my uh, to my game. To be honest, I of course uh, it's disappointing because you always go on court trying your best and and uh, trying to win the most more matches you can. You know, I'm still proud uh, to still go on court, you know, with my problem. I'm trying to fight uh, as hard as I can, trying to find solutions, playing against uh, really good players, you know, uh, uh, who can play normal. So I'm still proud of this, even if I'm uh, a bit mad about the result, but I'm trying to put my focus on uh, on my practices, uh, trying to improve the thing that I can. And yeah, just, you know, be proud uh, about uh, what I'm, about the effort that I'm uh, that I'm doing. So you're in Paris, you're doing treatment, you're doing workouts. Is your coach there? Is Petar there or no? Yeah, I'm I'm always traveling with my tennis coach, Petar. But uh, since China, I'm, I've been traveling with a physio because, uh, you know, the wrist, uh, the, the wrist injury is uh, much longer than we expected. So, yeah, we just have to adapt and try to find more solutions to to make it faster. You live in Paris. That's the, I mean, there's nothing like that. I mean... Every morning you go for a cafe and a croissant and you're just like sitting on the sitting on the, the Boulevard de Terrasse. Terrasse, yeah. Every day you're just like living it up. Uh, that's what I will do, but that's the movie life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, you know, I mean, uh, 
uh, with our life, I think uh, it's almost the same day everywhere, you know, e every day, wherever we are on uh, on Earth. I think it's quite the same day. <laughs> and what about the, the Rue de Overcomp? Do you ever uh, shake it up down there at the Overcomp? I love that street. Not really. I'm not uh, from that part of Paris, but uh, for, I, for sure I went there a few times, but I don't, I can't remember. And I see behind you, uh, what am I looking at? I see your rackets. Where are you in your house? Is that your house? That's my apartment, yeah. That's my music studio. I, I build a, a music studio in my apartment so, so I can enjoy my time off, day, days off. I like this room. I feel like I'm alone in the city when I'm in this room. Let's move into the second set. This is the On The Core Report. Explain what happened. First round, you snapped your right wrist, your off wrist, your lefty. Yeah, exactly. Can you explain it? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, it was in Australian Open, so I was playing against Wu, and uh, I've been feeling my, my wrist since one or two days, not more. Just a little bit, you know, like we all feel, uh, we all have pain everywhere in the body. So yeah, on my right wrist, I, I start feeling uh, a little pain, which was not too bad. So I, I went on the court, played the, the match. I won the first set, I remember. I broke in the second set. And then on one backhand, like normal backhand, I heard the crack and I felt a big pain on my right wrist. Wow. And I knew directly that, uh, that it was like bad, you know. I never had that kind of injury, but I knew directly that it wasn't normal because I it was really, really painful, like all the time. And I heard this little crack. I was like, yeah, it, it was a really strange feeling. I've been injured many times in my career. But uh, this time I felt that it was something different, you know. So, yeah, I just kept playing. And uh, I, it was my first tournament with my new coach, you know. So we were we didn't know exactly what what was wrong on the court when I broke it. I, we didn't know directly, let's say, that I broke it. For our listeners, uh, Corentin's coach, friend of the show, he's been on our show, former coach of Andrea Petkovic for a lot of years, Peter Popovic, a real tennis man, Serbian, and he speaks fluent French. He told me, he said, man, he broke his wrist. And I said, oh, he must mean he, he tore ligaments or something. And, but you really actually broke the bone. No, 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 no. I broke... There is, there is a, how do you call it, like a sheet that hold the tendon uh, in the wrist. And that's what I broke. A sheath. A sheath, yeah. Uh, that hold the tendon. You broke the sheath. Exactly, yeah. I broke the sheath. So the tendon was moving uh, everywhere, you know. Uh, it wasn't stable anymore. Oh, my God. So everything was fine except the, the sheath. You know, it was uh, totally uh, gone. So that's why uh, it was it was so painful. And every time I was doing a backhand after that, uh, during the match, the tendon was moving and moving. And uh, after every point, I had to put it back, you know, in the right place. Oh, so that's why, you know, at that moment, you know that you have a pain, but you have to play the match. You know, you are in a slam, you're in Australia, so you have to play. So for me, I was like, OK, I'm going to do more slice. But then with my coach, we were like, okay, I have to put sometimes my second hand because the guy is playing good. So I was doing it, but I, it was so painful, I remember. I was like, every backhand was, uh, I was scared about it. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know how I won that match, but uh, it was, uh, it was uh, really, really special. And uh, I, I suffered uh, a lot that day, I remember. But you didn't just win that match. Two days later, you came back and you won the first set against Sarundalo. And it was freezing cold way out on one of those outside courts and you hung in there pretty well with one-handed backhand. What was the thought process there? Take me through that. But the first thing, as I said, is during the first match, I knew that I had something bad on my wrist, but I didn't know exactly what. So the first thing we did after the match is we, we went to with my coach to the doctor and directly they told us that uh, probably I will need a surgery. And then after that, we were thinking with my coach, what's the plan? You know, do we have to go back, do the surgery? What's the plan? And then I said, you know, I know this player. I know that I have to do a lot of slice against him anyway. If I lose, I lose. But I believe in my chances. You know, I think I can win. Even with, a, I will do most of a volley. I will change a little bit my game. I told him, I think I can, I can make it, you know. Uh, so... 
anyway, I would have to do the surgery. One more match or one less, it won't change anything because I won't use it. How significant does the money factor into the decision? Tell me the truth. Zero, because I could take the money. Zero. Zero, because, I, I, because even if I didn't play, I would take the money of the second round. You know, so it will be the same. I, I, I wouldn't lose any money if I retired. But did you play all year for the money or did you play all year? Because your ranking was you were 50 in the world. It gets you into all the big tournaments. Did you choose yeah. to just play it out because you wanted to make the cash and, you know, go to work? And you, there's nothing you could do. Or was it the challenge? No, 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 no. To be honest, I, I, I was, so I had my surgery. It was a really long process to get back to just a normal life, you know, because the wrist after surgery, uh, the wrist is dead. You know, you can't even use it for, for a normal thing. Uh, so the, the process was so long. And when I, I went back on the court doing only slices and, uh, playing with my coach, doing some set with some players, you know, I was winning most of them. I was playing really good on clay. I was really surprised by my level. So I was like, why would I, you know, we were not sure that it will take only six months to heal my wrist because we were talking, of course, about the protected ranking. That was the first plan, right? To heal the wrist and play with the protected ranking. When I asked to the doctors, they said, okay, maybe for Wimbledon, uh, you can be ready. And my protected ranking was Umag. I had to, I had to wait until Umag. And uh, I was like, okay, if I have to play, I want to play in Roland Garros. So they said it's going to be tight, but let's let's try. So I start to practice hard without my wrist, of course. And I was playing, as I said, you know, really good. I was surprised by my level. So then we, I was like, maybe it's really dangerous to start even with two ends in Roland Garros directly with five sets you know, for the abs, for other injury. So let's play a few tournaments before so you can get your body used to this effort again uh, to be less risky for a slam. Sorry, did you just say for the abs? Yeah, for the abs, you know, for the serve. Because if you serve for three, four hours in a slam and you're not ready for it, it can be dangerous. For our listeners, Corentin took his fans on this journey in a YouTube documentary series. They're like seven-minute pops. And you can see a lot of this on YouTube. The name of the show is Iceberg. And I'm not going to explain why it's called Iceberg. You have to watch it. I think it's very well done. In one of the shows, you guys are really talking about how in order to play a five-set match, you could serve 400 times. And Peter yeah. didn't think you could be ready for that. He thought, hey, let's, we got to be careful. It's not about being ready. You know, I was ready for it. It's more about the the risk uh, for the body it's uh, it's really risky you know and if you if you have another injury somewhere else then you lose more time and then it's, it was more about uh, prevention of the body you know about the injury so yeah and in the same time as i said we were so surprised about my level i was playing good uh, in the practice which the matches of course is different but in the practice it was good so i told them i think you know, I can play. Uh, I can play in challenger level for sure with a slice. That's what I told them first, and then my coach said, "But I really think you can even play in uh, the Masters and everything because you have the ranking for it. So you have to let's try. You know, we because we won't wait until uh, it's ill because maybe it's gonna take a year, and uh, you can already play a good level. So, so I was like, okay, and I missed it. You know, I I, I missed the tour. I missed playing matches i missed everything so I, I was happy for it uh so yeah that's what we decided at the end to go back playing not for the money but because i was really believing in myself that i could be in top 100 even with this injury let's back up just for a second so you so you leave australia you go straight did you have the surgery in paris in paris yeah what was that like that was my first surgery so i didn't know <laughs> how will i react how was it so i don't know i just i mean i went to the doctor i did the surgery uh, it was a i don't know what you call it but local uh, local anesthesia exactly they didn't put you out no no they didn't knock you out exactly so yeah it was a strange feeling because it was so painful for 10 days after the surgery and it was a new feeling for me. I was discovering everything, you know, and 
I couldn't really sleep for 10 days because the pain was every second, every second uh, really hard uh, and intense. So yeah, it was it was tough uh, to be honest in the beginning because I, I felt like I did one step back because when I broke the the wrist, it was painful uh, to play tennis with this wrist, but I could I could open the door. I could do many things, you know, with my wrist. It wasn't too bad. And when I did the surgery, I felt like I couldn't do anything anymore with my hand. Was the surgery a success or have you had a bad surgery? Because you've been out for a long time, unable to use that wrist. It's, or it's just a long injury. No, it's a, it's a good it's a good surgery. Everything is good. You know, it's it fixed everything. Everything is in in a good shape. No. Everything is good. He did a good job. It's just that it took more time than we thought. But uh, you never know with the body how it will heal, how fast it's different for everybody. Uh, so it's pretty hard to predict how long it will be. How has your mentality been throughout the year? Uh, it was, <laughs> it was a, a roller coaster. I don't know if you can say that in, in English, but it's. Yeah, roller coaster. It was like so many up, downs, you know. Then you start to believe that it's you are close to heal. Then you feel that you are like doing a few steps back. It's yeah, it was hard, you know. Sometimes I was winning matches against good players, so I was like, okay, I can do more. I can do more than losing to a player um, not really well ranked. But that that's tennis life. Even uh, with uh, in a good shape, every week you are playing. So you win some, you lose some. Sometimes you are really happy because you win a tournament. The week after, you can lose against uh, the well card. And then everything, you start to doubt about everything. So, it, But that was even uh, even more now because uh, I really want to feel normal like uh, I was before, you know. I j just want to take my chance and have my full uh, full body to to see how I play and if I can play with the best play players in the world, you know. And so that's frustrating a little bit. Bro, listen, if you haven't seen Carl on Tam play, this is guy is one of the flashiest guys there is. You've got a really dynamic style. I've talked with others. It seems like you 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 have a you're a top twenty guy, and you haven't gotten there. Um, this has got to be a big setback for you. Yeah, because it was my first year. Uh, with I, I had my best ranking last year at the end of the year, so I was really excited, you know, to play the big tournaments. I was really excited about it. I worked hard for it, so it was a good accomplishment at the end of the year last year. So yeah, I was just excited. I did a good preseason. We worked really hard and really good. So I wanted to see where until where I can go this year, and uh, that's why I say it's frustrating because I didn't have the chance to to see uh, because you never know, you know how far you can go. And I wanted to know. It was my first year where I could like play with the best players, play the best tournaments, see really. Where is my level? If I'm like uh, 50 in the world guy or if I'm a top 20, if I'm a top 10, I, do, I don't know. You know, I still don't know. And it was the first uh, year that I could, I could see. So I was really excited about it. But I guess uh, it will happen uh, later. <laughs> are, you, are you on track to be able to hit the two-hander soon? Yeah, I mean, every day we are doing a, a good improvement. That's the first time I feel that. I was always feeling that we had no improvement every day. You know, it was like always the same day and the same day, the same pain. And now I feel that there is a really big improvement that I'm, that every day something new, something is better. So, so yeah, I hope, I don't know if it's uh, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks or next year. I don't know, but I feel that it's, I've never been that close. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Quantum, where does your tennis begin? My mom told me that at two years old, a friend of my mom bought a racket for my birthday. And yeah, I guess that's where it started, you know, in uh, the apartment. I was playing against the wall all the time. And just like, I don't know, my, my parents were in a tennis club. So I was spending some time there, I guess. Yeah, like this naturally. And are you from there? Are you from Boulogne-Billancourt? No. No, 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 no. Uh, I lived uh, in uh, 
not many cities, but always in Haute-Seine. That's a part, of, that's a suburb in, uh, in uh, Paris, suburb of Paris. Haute-Seine. Yeah, Haute-Seine. It's 20 minutes from Paris. So right. it's uh, in many cities in uh, Haute-Seine, like uh, Le Valois, Rueil, Garche, we lived. Uh, and then when I took my apartment, I, I went in Boulogne. You're a Paris kid. You played out, you played around Paris when you came up. Yeah, I left Paris for two years when I was 12 because I went in the south of France for federation uh, at the center uh, in the south of France. So I went to live there uh, for two years. So how did you get good? When were you identified by the federation where you started to be considered a good player? Uh, I never asked myself this question if I'm good or no. But uh, I, my, the federation uh, took me when I was seven, eight for the first practices. There is many steps in the federation, many different kind of uh, center. So yeah, at seven, eight, uh, the Paris uh, federation, let's say, took me until 12. Uh, and then, as I said, in the south of France, that was uh, the federation that with all the players in France. Where is that training spot? It was, it called Boulouris. It's, uh, we call it uh, Paul France. And, and so that, they had two, they had one in Poitiers and one in Boulouris. And I was in Boulouris. And who else was down there with you? Who did you meet down there for the first time? I was there with uh, Muller, Alexandre Muller, uh, Bonzi. Benjamin Bonzi. Yeah. Many, many guys. But I'm trying to say to say the guys that maybe you know. When did you first start practicing or seeing, you know, uh, Benoit and Pierre Zerber and Mahout and all these guys? Where did you start seeing the and uh, Songa and Monfi? I know they're older than you, but when did you start to see them? I I started to see them when I went back from uh, the south. I started to. I came back to Paris to be with a coach, Nicolas Coutelot. So that was in private. Uh, and I started to practice in the federation. I mean, in the courts of the federation. So that time back then, everybody was practicing there. Uh, Pierre-Hugues, Manarino, uh, many, many players like this, you know. So I could see them practicing in the gym, on the tennis court. I could even like play with them sometimes. But I was 15, 16. You know, that's the first time I saw them. I, If I remember good, I even played Herbert, I think, in Metz, Wallis, when I was 15 or 16, something like this. So, yeah, I think that's the first time I really saw them. Was there a moment where you were like, oh, oh well, I could be a pro player. I could be I could be one of the best players in the world. Yeah, I, I think around 12, because when you have to make the decision uh, about uh, staying in Paris with your parents and brothers and sisters or live in the south uh, of France uh, by yourself, you know, that's where you like really uh, try to figure out if you like really like it, if you want to do it every day, if you really want to live with the tennis or if you want to go to school and like have, let's say, a more normal uh, life. I think that time when I decided to go to south of France, you know, that's a long time where you just always felt like you were on that trajectory to be a pro. Was there any other thoughts in your mind? No. But yeah, a, a lot. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm questioning myself a lot. So yeah, of course, I wanted, some days I wanted to quit and do something normal. You know, when I saw all my friends doing uh, school, going to parties or do things like this that I wanted to do as well, you know. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to stop many times, but uh, at the end of the day, I was always like, uh, I think uh, tennis choose me because I, I never, I was never like, what do I want? What do I want to do uh, for living? You know, I always at this, I was always good at this all all the years. So I was like, okay, it's I'm made for for this. So okay, let's go. Even if some days I don't like it, I don't know. I was like. I, I couldn't see myself doing something else. I didn't know what to do else than tennis, to be honest. So I was like, I like many, many things outside of tennis, but to leave from it, I had a lot of doubt, but I never found a different answer than tennis. 
Were you traveling to internationally to play to play matches, to play tournaments? Did you did you play the Orange Bowl? Did you play Junior Wimbledon? Did you play uh, Petit A? All those big tournaments. Yeah, yeah I played everything. Every I played everything everything since uh, twelve. You know, I they they have tennis Europe. It's like uh, many many tournaments from for under fourteen. Then you have under sixteen. Then the juniors. So yeah, no, I played all of them before starting to play the futures. I I never stopped <laughs> traveling since I'm twelve. When did you stop going into a classroom? When did you stop school? Officially, <laughs> when I was. Uh, 15 and a half, but yeah, I think I gave up uh, much earlier. When I get ready for this interview, I look and it says, you know, 2017, he was 1,000 in the world. Then he got to 500 in the world. When did you really start to thrive? What do you mean, thrive? When did you start making money? When did you start to really move into the top 100? What was that like? It's different because when you're young, you know, you have a lot of sponsors, you have like it's yeah. different being uh, 300 when you're 30 years old or when you're 15. Of course, it costs a lot of money, but uh, we are lucky to have a strong federation that helped us. I had the sponsors that uh, helped me as well. So when you're 16, 17 years old, you're playing Futures, you're getting your ranking up, but you're getting money from your federation and other sponsors to keep you, to keep you alive. Yeah, but that that's since I'm really young, you know, I, I, for me, if I play tennis, it's because I like the game because I like what it's learning to me. I apologize. I don't. I don't, no, no, no. It's not because of this. I'm, I'm saying this because I wanted to say that since yeah. my mom who is like uh, really managing uh, all those things, you know, I'm yeah. always telling her, you know, me, I, I don't care about uh, having uh, 100 mil. I just want to have enough money so I can travel with a team and I can really like... Um, do the things well. I don't want to go on a tennis court if I'm not prepared, if I'm not with a good team, if I'm not doing the things right. So I'm always telling her that she just have to be careful and take care about uh, the money so I have enough to travel and do my job. And uh, so that, that was what happens since I'm, yeah, 13, 14. Of course, you have less uh, people in your team and uh, less expenses, but you win less money as well. So she was always the one who did an amazing job to uh, find a good balance between the expenses and the monies that were coming in uh, so I can live and travel and uh, do my job. Your mother serves as your manager. Not manager. She's she's working. She has a job and she helped me for this as well. What does she do? She's, uh, <laughs> she's uh, in, uh, I don't know how to, call it in english it's uh say it in french estate or something like this estate uh, that's how you say estate planner finance uh no it's estate she's like selling um apartments oh real estate she sells real estate she's not it's not really this she's gonna be mad if she's listening to to me saying this but it's it's something similar i don't know really how to explain it okay um, but she looked after you. Um, was there a, a match that said you said, "Man, you know, this is here we go." Now I now it's time. Yeah, I, many many matches. Of course, the first win in a slam. Even I think my first title in a Brest Challenger. Yeah, I just when I started, but not even even before. I mean, even in Les Petitsas, you know, it, you are fourteen, but they already make a, such a big uh, tournament for yeah. fourteen years old uh, kid. You know, so. There is just the crowd and one atmosphere that I really like. You know, you feel like uh, you have to be a better player. There is so many good players. You always have to find a way to be better than them. So, yeah, I just like like that since the beginning. You're a big match player. You're a showman. It seems like you got on everyone's radar during COVID some way because of the UTS. Everyone kept seeing you in the Moritaglu matches. And all of a sudden, people seem to really like your flashy style. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's I like to it's myself, you know, I like to be authentic. And it's hard for me to hide my my real person. So that's why I mean, I like to create that's why I'm in uh, in life. That's how I am on court. So I really believe that when I started to play tennis, it was a game. So I was there only to have fun with my friends. I don't know. I, I didn't think about how do I have to play? How do I have to like, where do I have to play? I really believe in the instinct for my, 
for me. I mean, personally, it's working well on me. So that's why I try to think less and just like try to build the game, you know? You say something interesting in one of these shows. You say that your life revolves around passion. Yeah. For me, if there is no passion, you know, there is no use. That's why when when the money questions come, usually, you know, in the media, I'm always like, okay, we all doing our job for the for being able to eat, being able to live somewhere, help maybe our parents or friends or anyway. But at the end, you're you can't be good at your sport or job if you don't have passion because you won't be curious, you won't learn more than you should. You will always do the minimum if you don't have passion. And for me, you know, if I'm here, I think because it's you know it's a struggling life. It's struggling. Uh, you are suffering a lot physically. It's really expensive. You have to invest a lot. You have to travel. You, so if you have no passion for it, for me, it will be too much, you know, too much things to deal with. Uh, without passion, I wouldn't be able to do it, I think. Have you always like sort of lost your mind on the court at times? No, I, I've always been like this on the court. I was even worse, like more emotional. But, uh, you know, I was always, I was the best when I was 14. When I was 16, I was good junior. I'm playing quite good. Uh, I was 51 last year, you know, so I don't think it's a problem. Uh, people usually call it like snaps or like uh, losing mine. I'm just myself, as I said, you know, it's 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 a tough sport. I'm uh, emotional, so I just have to leave it out sometimes. And it's hard because you're not allowed to do anything on court. So it's tough for me, you know, to keep it inside all the time. So, yeah, I don't know if it's uh, bad. People usually like to judge things, you know, when they watch, if it's bad, good, or... But for me, it's just me, you know? It's just me. I think that the casual fan sometimes equates that emotion with somebody that's sort of cavalier, that isn't serious. But the fact of the matter is, is that you are dead serious about your career. But yeah, yeah, as, as I said, there's... There's so many people involved in that. You know, my coach is traveling with me, leaving his family. There's even me, you know, I could see more my brother, sisters, family, friends. I could do so many things different. Uh, and it's just like, it's a serious game, you know, and that's usually why I'm, I'm getting mad because some people doesn't realize that it's serious. It's really, really serious. I mean, we, since we are a kid, we left everything for, for this. We are spending all day long uh, working, making our body suffer, you know, being injured, trying to come back. Yeah, it's serious. So that's why uh, sometimes it's, I'm getting maybe too emotional about it. You seem like you have a lot in your mind. You seem different than other players on tour. You've got interests outside of the tennis. Do you often feel alone on tour? Yeah. Do you feel a little bit different than the other players? I don't know. You know, I, to be honest, I don't know them a lot. Well, you just said, yeah. I said, do you feel different? Do you feel alone? You said, yeah. I feel alone. Yeah. Different. I don't know. Alone. Yes. Because it's a lonely life. People usually see only uh, the, the great part of this life. Like, uh, like they show it on Netflix, you know? <laughs> so, but that's not the real life. Even for the top players, that's not the real life. So I don't know. I think people have to understand and we have to educate them that uh, this life is tough. I mean, for everybody, you know, I, I'm not here to say uh, that all life is harder than others, but all job is hard. And sometimes people forget because there's a lot of money involved that uh, athletes in tennis or football or everywhere, they are not allowed to, to feel bad. You know, they are not allowed to feel bad or lonely or have like bad emotions because they are getting paid a lot. But that's two different things, I think. So, yeah, you can feel alone on tour sometimes. What's your relationship with the French Federation? What, what is your current relationship? I don't know. They broke up. <laughs> <laughs> they got mad. They got mad at you. They broke up. They broke up. They said goodbye to you. Yeah, they said goodbye. Yeah. Now, I mean, when the, people hang on from, a second, hang on a second. When that happens, do you get a letter in the mail? Do you get an email, or do they just tell you to your face, like, "Hey, man, we no, we're not no, with no, no, no." That's that's even more funny than this. It's uh, I, I mean, I knew that. Uh, and, and also, let me. Sorry, sorry. One second. And what does that mean that you that they're, that that you're not part of it? What does that mean anyway? But it doesn't mean anything. I mean, the the consequences are zero. 
people because uh, I, I, even today I'm in federation practicing. So I'm still practicing on their courts. I'm still, still using uh, the physio, the uh, from there, uh, the I don't know the gym. I I can go there and everybody see me as a part of the family because you know I'm a nice guy. They are nice. I mean the workers there. Uh, from the physio to the coaches to uh, the cleaning lady to they are all nice and I'm all good with them. So when I arrive, I feel like at home, you know. Man, when I when I read that you had gotten like essentially you know kicked out of the federation, I didn't know what that meant because when I went to your match against Sarundalo, the whole Davis Cup team was there. Yeah, I know. Grosjean was there. All the French players were there. All the French coaches were there. That's nice. That's nice uh, from you to say that because that's the best. Okay, I for me, I don't like to uh, deal with my problems uh, through a screen, but uh, it's uh, for me, it's a general problem in uh, tennis, maybe in sport in general. But I know tennis, so in tennis, it's a general problem because there is what people will see and what. Uh, the reality is inside, you know, backstage. And the uh, reality backstage is so different than uh, than the cover, than what people see, you know. And that's all, that's always something that it's hard for me to deal with when I'm on tour because I see everybody. I mean, I see everything. I'm, I, I, it's my life. I'm inside. I see all the backstage. So why are you guys, people, like lying to the crowd, to the people that are watching? It's bad for for us, you know. What are you alluding to? Was the French media saying that you're no, but because uh, the enfant terrible, enfant terrible, <laughs> that you're uh, your persona non grata? Is that what this is? That what you're explaining? That's not no, true. But that's that's why what they say publicly. But all the guys that took the decision, they still say hi to me. They talk to me. They want to help me. You know, I see them as you said. They are in my in my crowd. Uh, in my box, they are watching my matches. So that's what is, it's a little bit unfair because in the eyes of everybody, everybody thinks that I'm a bad guy and that they fired me. But in the same time, backstage, they want to stay close to me. They want to still be friends. They still want to be here for me because you never know, maybe I'm going to be a top player one day. So maybe they have to be here. So that's that's the thing that is hard because as you said, being fired from Federation, what does it involve? Nothing. Just that publicly, people will not say that Federation tolerates that I'm nervous on court or whatever I'm doing. You know, it's just like they separate uh, Federation and me publicly. That's the, on, that's the so only reason. If the Federation said, listen, this guy's just too much of an asshole. We have to kick him out of the Federation, but you don't really get kicked out of the Federation. I've been kicked out only because I couldn't practice. I couldn't be with my ex-coach anymore because he's a, a coach of federation so that's the only things that changed but uh, the guy who took the decision is the one guy who is sitting in a desk you know he's not he's not even uh, he's the president of federation so i i saw him maybe twice in my life so you know when you when i heard the decision it really it didn't affect me really because i was like i know the i know the i know the reality i know the truth but the only thing is it's it's hard to deal with it because all the media then take it and create their own story. And people will talk about it, will say that I won't have any money anymore from Federation, but they didn't give me money. I was just with a coach from Federation. So, you know, that it's the, the reality and the truth start to be like surrounded by fake things. So that's the only problem that it's hard to deal with and live with because there is so many lies, so many fake things. That's the only thing that changed. Are you friends with Arthur Fees and Kazo and these guys? Yeah, we are. I won't say friends because on tour, there's no really friends. But I will say we are like a colleague, you know, we are like getting along. I have respect for them. They are playing really good. We are living the same life, struggling uh, with the same thing, hustling for the same trophies, you know. So I respect them for for their job and the effort they are putting. I can't say friends because I don't know them really well personally. I don't like to use this word too much. It's a lonely life out there, man. Um, your best moment on tour? I think I would say two. I would say Nadal, playing Nadal in Roland Garros on the center because it's it was my dream since I'm a kid. Like really, since I'm a kid, I wanted to play against Rafa. I've never practiced with him before. 
not even like playing balls with him. So I, it was just like going on the center of Roland Garros. It's crazy. You know, I was on the court going on the court. I was like, what is that? Like I was, I wanted to win because I'm a competitor and I'm like practicing for it. And I was like, okay, I can beat this guy. I don't care. I can beat Rafa on the center court. I don't care. I'm not scared. I wasn't scared. But in the same time I was with my team, but okay, let's just take five minutes. I was like, when I was six or seven or eight, when I was watching TV, I like, if someone told me that I will like, I will pay him $1 million. Like to, to okay, you're lying. It's, it, it's can't be real. So it, for me, it was so strange to be, to have a mixed feeling between, I want to beat this guy. I'm not scared. And in the same time, what am I doing here? Like on the center of against Rafa. What was the score? It was a, yeah, straight sets. But I was like, but you played yeah, well. I was, I was enjoying my match. You know, I was like playing against Rafa. I was like, okay, I can make it. I believed in me even when I was two set zero down. I was really like believing in it. What's it like to be in the runway when he's jumping around before the before you walk out? I mean, what were you? What were you? What was but you I was, feeling? As I said, I was between the players that was about to play him, and uh, you know, and I was like the kid that was watching myself in the same time. I was like watching me. It was strange. It was so strange to see myself in this situation because yeah, it's crazy. And what was the, uh, and what was the other? The other is uh, Cameron Nori last year in Bercy. Yeah. That was crazy. You played well in Bercy. You had a good Bercy. Yeah. I did third round and I won against Nori, I think second round, but it was like, we finished at three in the morning. We played three hours, 30. I was with all my friends, all my family. The crowd was crazy. And that was like amazing. You know, when I won the match at the end, the connection with the crowd and with my, all my box and my team, that was crazy. Uh, that was, yeah, I will put it in the same, on the same stage. Can you do better? About? Can you play better than you have moving into 2024? Yeah, for sure. As I said, I was 51 last year. And with my coaches, we did a good preseason. And I felt like I had so many things to improve still. And that's what I, that's the one of the first thing I said to Petar. I said, uh, because we were practicing different, you know, it was really intense. I've always practiced practice hard, but with him, it was something, a different kind of intensity. So I was like, it's crazy because I'm happy because I'm 51 in the world and I have so many things that I can learn, that I can improve in my game. You know, I feel like I'm, there's so many parts of my game that are still weak and uh, I'm 51. So, so yeah, for sure. I can do so many, everything better, actually. I can really be better in uh, all, everything. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, you say what comes in your mind, okay? Your favorite player growing up? Nadal. Your favorite player now? Is there anyone you love to watch uh, play? I'll say Alcaraz. What about on the women? Do you watch any women's tennis? Do you no, see and women? I don't watch uh, ATP as well, but I have to pick one. I don't watch tennis. You don't watch tennis? No, I don't watch TV. I don't watch tennis, no. You don't watch tennis? No, I'm doing it all day, so I'm, I'm not watching it when I'm off. You don't watch it? No. You don't I, watch it? No. I watch sometimes highlights when I have to play against one guy, but I never watch tennis. Uh, your racket. What's the story with your racket? Now, my racket. It's Technifiber. You play with the Technifiber? Yeah. And what size is the grip? Uh, two. And how do you string the racket? In kilos, usually 24, 23. Your favorite tournament? Uh, Bercy. Your favorite court? Uh, center of Bercy. You love Bercy? Yeah, I, I love it, yeah. Medical timeouts? Forbidden. Forbidden? Yeah. They should get rid of them? Yeah. Erase it. It's, it should be forbidden. Changeover is enough. Dan Evans said that to me. You agree they should just get rid of them. I agree with the medical timeout, not with Dan Evans. You guys had a big beef. You guys had a big tense match a few years ago. I remember that. I do as well. You still have a problem with Dan Evans? No, no, no. I don't have any problem with anybody. 
things get heated out on the court. Um, TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions. Is that becoming a problem? I don't know much about it, actually. I don't know who, who has some. Uh, so all the question about all the time about the doping and uh, where, where does it start, you know? So I don't know. Player box etiquette. How should people in the boxes behave? Oh, should they behave? Tough question. I don't know. I mean, should they be standing up on every point? Should they be going crazy? Should they be in, in my in my box or in general? How do you feel about player box? This is a ten ball scramble. You, I say it. You have to just say what comes in your mind. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, however they want. I mean, they are free. However they want. That's my answer. Big entourage or lean and mean. Small. Lean and mean. Small. Lean. Keep it, keep it, yeah. The craziest thing you did with your prize money right out of the office. Did you ever just buy something? Smart, crazy, or crazy like stupid? Both. Okay. Smart, I think, is uh, I bought an apartment. That's crazy for me. When, but that's... When, when, did you, when did you do that after? What, Matt, what tournament did you do that after? I did, uh, I think, last year, Australian Open. So not the last one, the one before. You took the money and you went straight and bought a, house, bought a place. What's yeah, the place you're living in now? Yeah, in the same, yeah, same time. So that's the that's smart. And then for the stupid thing, I did the. Uh, it's last year in New York. I did the crazy shopping and crazy party. What'd you buy? I bought like everything that I had in mind that I was saying myself not to buy, and then uh, I went to the store after the tournament and I bought everything. You went to Balenciaga. Yeah, all. I went to all the luxury shops and then uh, with my because my friend came over and uh, we did a big party in a, in a nightclub. And uh, yeah, that was uh, not as smart. What club did you go to? We went to Tao. You went to Tao. Yeah. You, t- you tore it up at Tao. Bottles and models all night long. <laughs> kind of. What's the story with your music? Uh, I, I actually was listening to it when I was getting ready for this um, for this interview. I think you spit rhymes pretty nice, man. I think you I think you've got like a pretty smooth flow. Thank you. Um, what's the story with the music? Uh, the story is that the... I wish I understood all the French, but I can't understand it because it's just too quick for me. Maybe that's but why you like it. I love yeah. the way it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it started in a, it started before the lockdown, but I started doing it like seriously uh, during the lockdown because I had more time and I was uh, locked alone so uh, that's where it's really started i've been a big fan of uh hip-hop uh, and uh french rap music since i'm yeah 10 11 i don't know i just like this world i like the mindset of of uh, this world i like uh, the energy i like yeah you know uh, in music industry people are really hustling and i, I like it do you produce your beats uh, i'm trying to but not the one that i released that, that wasn't my beats, no. No, you didn't produce Petit Frere. The beats, no. The lyrics, yeah, but the, not the not the beats. Do you write your own rhymes? Yeah. Okay, that's important. That's not rap if you don't uh, uh, if you don't write your lyrics. That's that's not real. Don't tell Cardi B that. <laughs> Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport with just one swing of the racket with no aggravation, what would it be? Only one serve. Only one serve? Yeah. This is unbelievable. My last guest, Amos Mansdorf, got to 18 in the world, the Israeli player. He said the same thing. Is it because you're short? No, it's because they are too tall. It's because it's, it's hard to compete with the big size difference. And if there was one serve, it would... It would even it. Yeah, I just feel like, I don't know, you know, in a box or in a martial art, you know, there's categories. And when you arrive on court, I played Chrissy in Challengers a few weeks ago and the guy had two first serve. The second serve is a first serve. And his second serve is faster than my first serve. So I was like, I lost. He was playing actually really good from the baseline as well. You know, it's not only serve, but I was like, I, what do you want me to do? The guy is uh, serving two first serve faster than my than my first serve yeah it's tough to compete but you know we are trying our best and there is like small guys who had a big career but uh yeah hey man 
listen, you know, I appreciate this. This was terrific. It's I feel like you're one of the more interesting players on tour. Quite often I watch you play and I watch you practice and I I have a hard time understanding how you can lose. You play so athletic, so fast, so fast around the court. Your movement is so good. I really hope you turn the corner on this injury so we can see what you can do. Thank you. I I, I wish the same. I don't promise anything, but I, I'm curious. What's the moral of the story now that we've done a year with a one-handed backhand, working on an injury? What is the moral of the story? The moral of the story, I think, is that you can always find a way. I think that's the moral because I had one hand less and I was, I'm was. i still trying to find a way to win matches. Now, are you going to continue with the uh, documentary series uh, through and through? I will see. I didn't expect uh, that the injury will be that long. What gave me this idea to do a YouTube channel is because I really wanted to show the reality you know, of our life. Uh, the good part and the real part that are not that good. I was pissed when they released uh, this Netflix show, which is like totally like fake. Uh, and that even that people liked it, I was pissed because I wanted to tell them what is the reality, you know? And so I think I'm going to use my YouTube channel to show them a little bit around, show them what's, what is being in the athlete life. I think it's important to educate people and show them the reality because if if they don't know the reality, they will judge like from a fake fake news, fake things. Listen, I, as a credentialed member of the media, I don't root for players. I don't cheer for players, but I like watching you play. I like the way you play. I like your coach. I like the way you do stuff. I like your swagger. I hope you have a great back end of the year. Have a great holidays. I hope we see each other down the road. I think I'll see you in Australia. Is the plan to try to get your ranking yeah. so that your main draw is? Yeah, that's what that's you're trying to do. That's why I'm playing until okay. the end of the year, yeah. Man, you're like, you went like four steps back because of this. You're playing challengers to get into the main draw. A year ago at the same time, you were main draw for everything. Wow. Tennis is incredible. Uh, life is a uh, life sometimes reminds you to stay humble, you know? No doubt. Corentin Moutet. Merci beaucoup, and I wish you good luck. You are released. Merci beaucoup, merci. Thank you for the invitation. That was a pleasure. Huge thank you to Coron Tamute, and thank you to Diodora. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at hollabergsports.com for 15% off of all Diodora performance tennis shoes. Megan Fernandez edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We will be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.